Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, a couple of things. Let's see. Apologies in advance if, like, the filming or the audio is a little weird in this one because producer slash boyfriend Jason is on a vacation home back in Boston, so I've had to set this one up myself. Could have taken a week off recording because, as I mentioned in the last episode, we are taking a week off of releasing. Um, but I just read so many great books this last week that I was like, I need to talk about these before I forget. At least, you know, I've already probably forgotten some of the details on one of the books that I read last Monday, but I was like, I need to get this out as soon as possible. So I can already tell that maybe I should have like straightened my phone a little bit, but we're here. We're recording. It might be slightly off center, but isn't that life? All right. So if you are new here, my name is Rachel Polanski. I read a lot of books. Some of you may be asking, how do you have so much time to read? There's a variety of factors. Number one, I think the biggest thing is I read really, really fast. So I read, I I like to say on average about five times the speed of a regular human. Does that mean I'm not absorbing all of the details? Perhaps because as if you're, if you're a uh, what's the word? <laughs> if you're an uh, old veteran of the channel, you know that I'm not the best on remembering specific, you know, names and details and occasionally plot points. But I think I still get the general oeuvre of the book and I'm absorbing it as much as I could possibly when I am reading it. It's just that again, by the time I'm ready to talk about it, I'm like five books past it. So of course the details are a little fuzzy. The old noggin can only hold so much stuff. Um, let me just make sure, double check. I think the video is recording, but we're just gonna, we're gonna double check because that would be a shame if it actually wasn't. And see, I can't even, <laughs> I was like, wait, what was I just talking about? I can barely remember the thing I was talking to you about, let alone details of the books I read the last week. Um, so reading really fast is one, number two. I work from home, so I'm really, um, my hours are somewhat flexible. I mean, I do work sort of nine to five, but like I have a lot of, you know, in between moments. And if I have half an hour in between a meeting, um, or, you know, I happen to have a spare hour or two in my day, um, that is not filled by something during the work hours, I will read. And then after five, it's like all bets are off, you know, (laughs) I do have a boyfriend, so, and I do have a life, so I'm not always reading, so, you know, especially now as the world is opening up, I unfortunately have to sacrifice a little more reading time, like, little anecdote, my dad just visited last weekend, and it was really wonderful to spend time with him, of course, we were out of the house and doing things, but y'all know me, and I'm an introvert at heart, so we could, (laughs) we had to come back and have some little breaks during the day, and I think my dad's a napper as well, so he really enjoyed that. Um, But the point of that being is it took me, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have the time that I have where it's like, you know, working for eight hours during the day. And then after five, it's like me, they're watching something with Jason. Now that the world is opening up, like I said, maybe we'll like go out to a movie, which this is taking a lot of tangents. But speaking of movies, so my first movie in theaters last week, we saw Zola, which we were supposed to see um, earlier, but that I sprained my ankle, which I think I talked about in the previous episode, we ended up being able to see on Thursday, really great, really like cool return to theaters, like crazy escapades, adventures. Um, I will link my like actual review of that on my blog, which you can find down below, Media Maven, which I just update sort of at will with non-book recommendations that I am loving, mostly TV shows, but occasionally movies. So Zola was really awesome and fun, but where were we going with this? So yeah, I, I think the reasons I read so much is because I also just have a lot of free time and time to myself, and I choose to devote that time to myself. Like I said, I do have a boyfriend, and we spend a lot of time together, but we also are, you know, he likes to video 
game and he has to work and do his own stuff and he works different hours than I do. So I'm more than happy to sort of spend that time by myself with some friends in another world reading and just sort of exploring the, the different worlds and taking the time for that. And then the, thir the third being, I think that a lot of the things that I read for the most part are under three or 400 pages. Um, if I do end up ever reading, you know, a book that's about six or 700 pages, which does happen more often than not, especially lately, um, it just takes me a little bit longer. And But it's sort of like, you know, two books in one, the price of two, and you get to marinate and stay with those characters a little bit longer. Maybe I'll do, that's a good episode idea. Let me know if you'd be interested in like, um, we'll take a break or add it on to the five books of the week of sort of, you know, like the five best books over 500 pages that you need to read because especially if you're not a fast reader or if you're not someone who has as much time to read, so the time that you do have to devote to reading, I think that's what it is too, is like the time that I have to devote to reading is so vast. I think if I only had a couple of hours a week or, you know, five hours a week, which seems like scary to only have that amount of time, but I'm sure um, as I advance in my life and there will be peaks and flows when there is only that time, what I choose to read, I'm a lot more careful um, with, whereas now sort of I kind of go willy nilly, like I'm not super careful about what I'm adding to my what to be read list. I'm just sort of seeing things everywhere and adding them willy nilly. And usually, yes, they are contemporary fiction. Like I'm pretty sure everything I'm going to talk about is um, has come out in the past month, if not like the past week or two. Um, but I just, um, I think that I will have to be a little bit more discerning. Um, so that's hopefully why you're here too. If you are someone who doesn't have as much time to read, but is looking to get into reading, I'll let you know like which books are worth your time. And like, if you're into different things, because not everyone is a fan of memoirs, not everyone's a fan of fiction. There's something for everyone. And especially in this episode, I think you'll find that to be very true. So our first book that we are talking about is called Hell of a Book by Jason Mott. This is a really cool metafictional novel about an author who is unnamed, and he is super famous for his book Hell of a Book, and we encounter him on his book tour. Now, things are like a little weird. It's sort of told in that, like I said, like very metafiction style where we can tell that something's off with the author. We're sort of placed in media res with him as he has just published this book. Um, he doesn't really know what the book is about and interspersed throughout the periods of him on the book tour trying to figure out what this this book that he wrote is about he encounters this kit named suit and the story of suit is happening from when suit is a child and you know there's a lot of parallels between suit's story and the author's story um there's a lot of sort of you know allusions and allegory to race both overt and not so overt there is um you know the thriller aspect as to like what is going on you know there's a there's an uncanny sort of twilight zone feeling like why doesn't the author know what's going on with his book are we reading a book within a book how does suit story come into play um why can the author see these figures and kids like are they are they dead people are they ghosts are they his imaginings is suit actually the author and while all those sort of loose threads may seem very frustrating and confusing for an actual book. The fact that this all is meant to play with that and that the author is very intentional about what he chooses to reveal and when definitely made this a really quick, fast-paced read. Um, it, it's very it's very powerful. It's very different. Like I, I think the the sort of metafiction and the layered timelines with the ambiguity of like what is and isn't real without that being entirely important. Like it's not the 
the end of the book is not, you know, what is and isn't real, but it's like, what did you take away from that? And I think there's a lot of different interpretations to be taken from this too. I think it's uh, the ambiguity serves its purpose. Sometimes I don't love ambiguous, ambiguous endings, especially um, if they sort of seem gratuitous, but this is definitely intentional and in the best way. Um, It's a little over 300 pages, but it reads really, really quickly. So this is definitely like a uh, not, you know, I don't, I don't want to say f- it's it's fun, but it's it's definitely a little bit deeper. It's a little bit different. And it's, you know, not exactly a it's a beach read in the sense that it's thriller and fast paced, but it's definitely a little bit heavier and, you know, forces you to think and open up your eyes to the world about certain things in the ways that maybe other pieces of literature don't. And that's not what you're there for. And that's fine. But if you want to be challenged both literarily, both, you know, on the page and off the page, then check out this one. Next, we have Rock the Boat by Beck Dory Stein. This is definitely, um, I'm even looking at the Goodreads description, and as Lauren Weisberger, the author of The Devil Wears Prada and many other sort of chiclet beach read um, books, calls this the perfect summer read. I agree. I think this was, even though I read it in my air-conditioned living, I really just like felt like such a summer read. Our main character, Kate, is forced to return from her posh life in New York City to her childhood home of New Jersey and Seapoint, which is actually, I think, supposed to be like the southern Jersey Shore, not like the northern Jersey Shore that takes place in the reality show. So she's forced to come back to her childhood home and life after sort of her long-term relationship has imploded. As we always know, that is often frustrating and challenging, especially when you've reached this milestone in your life that's ended and then having to be forced to go back to her childhood home where she has to confront a lot of demons. That's hard. So she's one of our characters. Another character that we encounter is Ziggy, whose father has just passed away. Ziggy's father was sort of like a mainstay um, and business owner in this um, in this town, uh, what's it, <laughs> the town of Seapoint. And then our third character is Miles, who's sort of the prodigal son whose mother owns um, the largest like restaurant event space in the town. And he comes back. So the way that the three of them their relationships are all sort of separate but different. They're all connected from their childhood and things that happened in the past. There's, you know, the typical things that happened from the past coming into play in present. There's the typical sort of love triangles and complicated relationships. But through it all, I don't want to say there was a sense of darkness because while one character is dealing with a breakup, one character is dealing with death, another character is sort of dealing with just like, they're all dealing with sort of personal identity and coming of age in a, in a middle age. They're all sort of dealing with their own like midlife crisis, you know, the sort of arrested development too of the childhood represents their past childhood selves and while they've all moved on either mentally or physically there's still something drawing them back there and there's still unresolved ghosts that clearly you know are coming together for the purpose of this novel but also just the the idea that this this little summer town exists with all these fun different characters who play the backdrop you know people who've lived there their entire lives to these people who we're now circling in on it's fun it's juicy there's you know, there's definitely, like I said, some, some darker uh, topics floating around the periphery, but just more more sort of to to soften the the plot and make it a little more enriching. And there's definitely not any, you know, there's no murders. There's not, nothing crazy like that. So this is definitely a more fun, light, easy beach read, but with a little bit of wit and bitterness and joie de vivre that I find lacking from some more rote, you know, mass market paperback beach reads. So really liked this one. 
Next, we have The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. Speaking of beach reads, this is another great beach read. Um, This is sort of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a little bit darker, but it's more of a middle-aged woman sort of coming to terms with her life and the questions of what could have been. There is a woman named Kate who, yeah, nope, sorry, her name is Elle. (laughs) Kate was the last one. I don't know, see, I'm all over the place. Our main character, Elle, um, grew up on this Cape Cod, New England, summer town, and her family grew up. She went there every summer. She also meets a younger boy named Jonas there. And we learn that they have this sort of forbidden, unrequited love, and they are forever bound together by an incident involving Elle's stepbrother, which I won't really give away, but this event sort of bounds them for life. So we we learn that they've gone through something monumental and their relationship is really important. We then meet Elle in the present day and learn that she is married to this really good guy, um, Peter. He seems like really kind and understanding. He's British. They have three children together. They've developed a real enriching life. Um, and then all of a sudden we find out that from the very beginning <laughs> that Kate's really, or sorry, Kate, I keep wanting to call her Kate. Elle's relationship with Jonas is definitely not resolved. So I think the way that the novel de- deals with the intertwining timelines, we deal with the present, um, we deal with Elle in the course of one day or sort of a little bit over 24 hours trying to figure out, like, is her past more important? Can she deal with those past demons? Is the present life she's made for herself with Peter enough? Is is there a chance to forgive herself? Is there a chance to let the darkness in? Um, so that all going over the course of 24 hours might seem like a lot, but the way that it's interspersed with Elle growing up and her experiences on the summer and the way that her relationship with Jonas has sort of taken many turns. And even though it's not necessarily a will they, won't they, it's really like how will Elle choose to know her life? Um, another great novel um, of that makes a summer community come alive. This one is definitely darker than Rock the Boat. There is abuse. There is, there's sexual abuse. There's, um, there is murder. There's a little bit more of darkness, but it is tinged with hope and one woman's story to not only survive, but just to own her own story and reclaim herself. So that is that. And next we have Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. So I lied earlier. Not all these books have come out in the past week. This one actually came out in 2018 and was recommended me to me by a listener. Um, so shout out to Lisa, I think is her name. Um, so, and so shout out to you for recommending me this book. She recommended it to me a couple months ago. I had a hold on it on the library. You'd think that a book from three years ago would not have holds on it, that it would be available, but you would be wrong. So I finally got it. And this was really sweet. It's sort of like a uh, You've Got Mail, which I've actually never seen, but if I'm correct, um, involves a story of lovers told mostly over email, and then they meet and fall in love and everything's great. So this is sort of that, but it's it's about a accidental friendship when a professor um, who is the curator of this museum in, where is it? Dane in in uh, Danish. That's Denmark. He's the curator of this museum in Denmark, um, and he has just lost his wife. He's sort of adrift and not really sure what is going on with his life. But the museum is the one thing sort of like still anchoring him to reality. One day, he accidentally gets an inquiry from a young uh, not young from a woman named Tina who um, has a question about an artifact at his museum, and through that, they strike up a friendship. 
And the entire novel is told um, with letters. So that's a really cool departure. I think we don't get that as often um, to have the entire novel take place in letters. I think it's, especially when I read so many sort of traditional form fictional novels, it's nice to have a little change of pace. Um, But if you're annoyed by that, then maybe don't read this one. But it's just really... At first, I was a little bit ambivalent as to like where the story was going. It was the tone was a little hard to establish. I was like, is this a romance novel? Is this a friendship novel? And then I came to realize about like a third, a quarter through the novel that it doesn't really matter because these two individuals are in different countries. They found each other through random circumstances. They also happen to be communicating by letter at first, and then they switch to initially communicating by email, but then like printing the emails out. And like it's so it still looks like it's a letter. It's like, you know, old (laughs) boomers. Um, But they're each dealing with very difficult situations in their life, especially uh, revolving around their children, because their children are at the points where they are getting married and starting their own lives. So we get to see them experience their own lives through their letters. You know, they're telling what happens. So you don't feel like, oh, it's just someone writing at a desk. Like you still really do feel like you are experiencing their stories and their lives. Um, But one day Tina stops responding to Anders. And so what happens from there? Will she ever meet him at the museum? Is this a friendship? Is this something more? Um, Why were they writing to each other and what purpose did it serve? Well, you're just going to have to read this book. And last but certainly not least, we have Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Uh, This one, I just read it yesterday, so it's still very fresh on my mind. And this one was like... Damn, I really enjoyed this. This is about two fathers whose sons were murdered, and they are on a quest to find out who did it. And what makes this unique is the two fathers' sons were gay, and one of the fathers is black and one of the fathers is white. And so they are coming to terms with the fact that their relationship with their sons was very fractured, and they weren't really able to realize that until their sons were murdered. So they are, this is, you know, not only a quest for revenge and vengeance to avenge their sons, but also to avenge their own senses of self. And we, we quickly learn, you know, that their prejudices are steeped in societal traditions, but also in, you know, what it means to be a black man in the South, what it means to be a white man who doesn't have an education and has all these prejudiced views of the world. So it's very, you know, there is that crime thriller aspect too. (laughs) They're both determined and they're on a mission. A lot happens in the sense that, you know, it wasn't just a a clean, you know, oh, it was a random shooting. Like there, it turns out that their sons were involved in a larger Uh, I don't know, I guess like a larger investigation and they were part of something bigger. So they quickly get tied up into that. So it's, you know, not so much a question of like whether or not their son's killers will be avenged, but like how it will happen because you know it's going to happen. There's definitely like that buddy duo comedy between the two fathers because they're so different, but they're also really well developed because they're the sort of characters who are not, S.A. Cosby is not trying to forgive them for, you know, oh, well, look at them. They were racist and or homophobic, but they've learned their lesson. But to show that forgiveness and patience and understanding and more than tolerance, but like love can take time in many different directions and forms. And it's not always easy. And just because these men do um, happen to realize that after their son's death, that it's, you know, a story that can resonate with a lot of different people. Um, It's fun. It's gritty. It's dark. It's different. These two older men who are badass, like, I just want to see it as a movie. I think there's, it's very cinematic, but also very timely and also really well written, moves quickly. I can't remember if I have reviewed his other book on the podcast or not. I think I may have read it before we started the podcast. Um, But either way, check out his other works, and I'm really excited to see what else comes from S.A. Cosby. 
Um, so with that, I think we are done with this week's episode, which will be going out in a few weeks. So hello, future me and future listeners. If you are not already, please, please, please make sure you subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, give me a five-star review. That would be wonderful. Also, a written review also helps and goes a long way. Follow me on Goodreads to see what I am reading in real time. As always, let me know what you're reading. And until next time, stay reading. Bye.